Hey, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Brian Haas. I'm the pastor here, and uh, we are in this series, right smack in the middle of a series called The Other Side, where you're trying to figure out what it looks like and what it means to live a life of compassion. We've been saying the phrase over and over, you have no idea what could be on the other side of your compassion. And through that, we've been looking specifically at the Good Samaritan story. All the, all the weeks within this series all focus on the Good Samaritan story, and we've been pulling out different parts of that. Before we get to that, though, there's, some, there's a couple ways that we're going to actually live that out, and I'm going to need your help with both of these. Here's the first one. Um, you have either right there at your seat or right in front of you a post-it. Grab the post-it note, grab you a pen, and here's what I need you to do with this pen. I've got our guest services team. They're going to help us collect these in just a second. All you have to write on this is your initials. Write your initials on it just like that. Got your initials. It should not, here you go, Patrick, I'll give you this one. It should not take too long. It's literally like two or three letters. So some of you are really thinking hard on your initials there. If you need help, let me know. Some of you are super worried right now. You're like, what are you going to do with my initials? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Once you finish writing it, we've got our guest services team. If you would just kind of let them know they're going to come up and down the aisles, they will be collecting those post-its with your initials. Don't worry, I didn't ask for social security number. I didn't ask for birthday. I didn't ask for any information. Just your initials. You can always tell like the personalities in the room for the people that are like, super nonchalant, like, yeah, 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 whatever, don't care, here you go. And then you have the other people that are right now super worried and you're asking 20 questions. What are you going to do with this? I need to know. Like, I, I'm not about to give you my initials without you telling me what it is. Some of you are even so worried, you're trying to figure out if, like, the colors mean something. I have a green one. What does that say about me personally? What is this all going to do? Don't worry about it. Once you get them, if you've got them and haven't gotten them, would you just hold up your post-its? Hold up your post-its. A couple more right here. Hey, if you are online, don't worry. We haven't forgotten about you. Um, when we come back to this post-it note a little bit later, I'm going to send you to our website, localchurchdawson.com, and I'll tell you what to do there in just a little bit. So now that you did that and you're all worried about it, forget about it, and we'll come back and talk about it at the very end. Another aspect of living out this life of compassion, something that we're going to be doing starting this Wednesday all the way up until spring break, when our schools hit spring break, we want to be able to just love on the schools, the teachers, the faculty, their staff um, in Dawson County. So here's what we're going to be doing starting Wednesday, and then I'll tell you how you can help with this. Starting this Wednesday, we are going to be feeding breakfast, serving breakfast to every teacher, faculty, team member, staff member at every Dawson County school over the next several weeks. So we'll be hitting different schools each Wednesday, but between now and spring break, we are going to hit all seven Dawson County schools. Chick-fil-A has been super helpful. They're going to be providing, we're paying a good chunk of it through your generosity. So thank you, thank you, thank you. It allows us to bless other people in our local community in this way. But they partnered with us. We're going to be taking chicken biscuits over to each of our schools. And we're going to need some volunteers to show up at each of these schools to help serve, to help drop off, to help get everything, all those things in for all the teachers and the staff at each school. So if you're interested in jumping on with us and helping out on Wednesdays, when you walk out these double doors, there's a table just to your left. And you're going to see some sign-up sheets, good old-fashioned sign-up sheets. Pick the day. You'll see which school we are at on which day, and then a couple places to let us know if you can volunteer and all the times, all the details are out there. 
I recognize that's early. Some of your schedules and life situations don't allow you to physically be at one of our schools that early. So here's how you can help. Out on that same table, you're going to see a ton of thank you cards. So I would ask that even if you can't show up to a school and help us serve the teachers at each school, would you at least write a thank you note? And we are going to divide all those thank you notes up and deliver those with the chicken biscuits as well. Our next gen ministries, they're doing the same thing. Kids are writing big old thank you cards for all the teachers at all the schools. So help me out, at least write one. You can write as many as you want, but at least write a thank you card and we will deliver those to the schools. Now, if you have a specific school that you want your card to go to, you just need to write it really big so I can see it. So if you want to make sure it goes to Blacksmill, write Blacksmill and then your thank you note. If you wanted to go to the middle school, write middle school and then write your thank you card. Otherwise, we'll just divvy them up so that each school has about the same and we'll be able to deliver those when we deliver breakfast. So One of the ways as a church, see, this whole idea of living a life of compassion is not just for you in your own home, for you in your own environment, for you in your own life. It's something we're called to do as a church, as a body of believers as well. So that's just one of the ways that we're going to be doing that. So online, give me a thumbs up. In the room, give me some nods if you can help me with that. Volunteer, write a thank you note. You can drop it in the basket. And like I said, we will deliver those. But back to our series, as we're still trying to figure out what it looks like to live a life of compassion, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 has given us some great insights, so let me read it again for us. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. That is the the foundation for a life of compassion, recognizing and realizing that everything that we do, how we live, how we act, how we love, how we act in compassion all stems from and is rooted in that, that we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So here's our response to that. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no, here's the word of the month, say it with me, compassion. Well, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, that's us. Don't miss that. We are part of the family of God, and and God's family lives a little bit differently. So, dear children, let's not merely say we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. My wife and I, Becky and I, we've been married 12 years. It'll be 13 years this summer. And uh, if you're married, you have said similar vows just like we did or some version of them in sickness and in health till death do us part, right? There's all those things of, well, when times are good, when times are bad, and richer for poorer, when we're healthy, when we're not, all those things, right? At the end of that, we all say, I do, right? And Becky and I did those same things. We had the same vows, said the same I do's, but she did not realize something when she said I do that day. When she said in sickness and in health, she had only seen me in dating and through an engagement. And I'm a, for the most part, I'm a pretty healthy person. But that first year of marriage, she realized something. You know the surprises that happen your first year of marriage? Yep, yep, she realized one of those. So even though I'm pretty healthy and I don't get sick often, when I do get sick, I am horrible. I mean, I am a terrible sick person. And it took me a long time. I've matured a lot over the years. And Becky has reinforced this again and again and again. Early on, I would have said, I'm not so bad. I only get sick once or twice a year, like major sick once, maybe twice a year. It's not that bad. But over the 12 years of marriage, she has helped me come to my senses that I just embrace it. Now I own it. I know I'm a terrible person when I'm sick. When I get sick, the whole world stops. And I'm like, Becky, I feel it coming on. And she's like, "Uh uh-uh. Not now. 
No, no, we're calling your mama. She can come and take care of you because I will not. But I remind her, say, no, 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 remember, in sickness and in health. And then I hear her mutter and mumble under her breath at that point. But I'll just tell you, like, I know I'm bad because it's not just a one-time thing. Like, when I'm sick, like I said, it's not often, but it lasts for days. So I'll be laying and I ask for so many things, like, Becky, I'm thirsty. Can I have some water? And I send it back, no, I don't want ice. I just want lukewarm water. And then I'll ask for something to eat. And then I'll ask for Christ. Can you turn the lights on? No, it's too bright. Can you turn off? So I know I'm bad. And you can all feel very sorry for her and give her your condolences later. But there's an aspect of me being sick that is actually passed down from generations. I witnessed my dad do this. I now do this. And now my sons do this. And it's great. Becky hates it. I think it's hilarious. One of the things that I do when I'm sick is I ask for something very specific. I ask for a lot. I know. But one very specific thing I ask for is a washcloth. Becky, can I just have a washcloth that makes me feel so much better? And she makes fun of me for this washcloth. She's like, you got to be kidding me. You don't need a washcloth. It's not going to help. And I'm like, it feels so much better. And then it'll get warm. Can you make my washcloth cold again? <laughs> so I saw my dad doing that growing up and made fun of him constantly. And then I get sick around my wife and I started catching myself. I was like, I'm asking for a washcloth. I'm too sick to care. I want one. And, and now my two boys, when they're sick, you know what they ask for? A washcloth. And Becky's like, what have you done to our family? How could you? I think it's hilarious. I think it's great. I'm like, I think it really helps, but that's for another day. So I know I'm a terrible sick person. It probably wouldn't be so bad if it was just a one day thing, like I said, but it lasts for days. And so day after day after day of me being sick, and hearing my wife, like, I can't believe you're still sick. You've got to get better. For all of our sakes, you need to get better. And I keep reminding her, no, remember what you said. Washcloth on my head. Say, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. And then she says, until death do us part. <laughs> and I'm like, let's not worry about that one right now. <laughs> it wouldn't be so bad if it only lasted a day. It's not so bad when you just need a Band-Aid, when you fix it real quick, right? You provide that immediate relief. But what we see happen is when something happens over time, a little bit more difficult, is it? It takes a different level of compassion when it takes longer. There's a phrase that we say in our family quite a bit, especially when I'm sick. There's also a phrase we see in 1 John. See if you catch it. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we, and here's the two words, ought to give up our lives for others. It's not a very spiritual phrase, is it? So we ought to. Ought to sounds more like I have to, I should, I'm obligated, I'm pressured into. Like, that's what ought to feels like. I don't really want to, but I ought to. And we say that in our family, I know you don't want to, but you ought to. I know you don't really feel like it, but guess what? You're still gonna. (laughs) So even though we don't want to all the time, and that's kind of the tone that this passage sets. We know what real love is, what God has done through his one and only son, Jesus Christ. That he sent him so that we would have life, not just life here, but eternal life. To forgive us of our sins, to provide us hope and grace, like all the greatness that is in a life living for Jesus and walking with him. What's our response to that? We ought to give ours up as well. Ought to. Meaning when we have a relationship with Jesus, we do things even when we don't want to, don't we? See, I would almost expect this to read 
We know what Jesus did and what real love is, and he gave up his life for us. So we should be excited to give up our lives for other people. We should be looking for ways to give up our life for one another. Like, that sounds super spiritual to say it like that. But the reality is, because of what Jesus did for us and who he is for us now, we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Ought to. Becky loves me, so she does a lot of things she doesn't want to, but she ought to. There's things we do for others that we don't necessarily want to, but we ought to and we do because of what Jesus has done for us. Please understand, compassion is a choice. It is a choice. And there's going to be many times where we don't feel like loving, where we don't feel like being compassionate, where we don't feel like living a life of compassion. But we ought to because it's a choice. Let's pray and we'll dive in and see what we see about the optus of love and compassion in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus, thank you so much once again for who you are, what you've already done for us. I pray that we recognize that what you have done for us is true love. And because of the love that you have for us, because of the compassion you have poured out on us, the grace and forgiveness that you've given us, the hope of eternal life, because of all of that, may we wrestle with that two, those two words, the optus. What are you calling us to do that maybe we don't want to? Where are you leading us that maybe we don't want to go? But we ought to because of the love that you've shown us. Speak, Lord, for we're listening in your name. Amen. As I said, this entire series is based on the parable of the Good Samaritan. So yes, you have one more week of hearing the story of the Good Samaritan. We are in week three, so smack in the middle of it. But each time we go through the Good Samaritan story, there's a few parts, a few lessons of compassion that we can pull out just a little bit more. That's what we're going to do today. To catch you up on the story of the Good Samaritan, again, this is a fictional story Jesus told, a parable that he tells to answer a question that a religious leader asked. The question is, well, who's exactly my neighbor? What does it really mean to love my neighbor? What does a life like that look like? So Jesus answers him by telling this story. The story of the Good Samaritan begins with a man being beaten and left on the side of the road for dead. And then a priest, a religious leader, walks by, sees this man, obviously in need, but instead of stopping to help, he passes by on the other side. Then a second man walks by, a Levite or a temple assistant, also a religious leader, sees the same man, but like the priest, Walks on the other side of the road, passes by without stopping, without helping. But then we see the third, a Samaritan. Verse 33, that's where we'll pick up the story. Then a despised Samaritan, and be here next week, because we're going to talk about the tensions between the Jews and the Samaritans and what that means in this story of compassion. Then a despised Samaritan came along. When he saw the man, he felt, there's our word, felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, here, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, that's the end of the story. That's the end of the parable. So now Jesus looks back to this religious leader that started this whole conversation, that asked the question, Who's my neighbor? What does it mean to be a neighbor? What does it really look like to love your neighbor as yourself and be compassionate? Jesus now looks at him, verse 36. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes. Now go and do the same. See, there's two parts to this story, to this parable, and you might not have caught it before, which is why we're going to talk about it today. 
Again, if you go back to me being sick, there's two parts to that story as well. There's the first time you get sick, or maybe if you, especially if you've got kids, you've experienced this, where they get scraped, they fall down. There's an immediate hurt, there's an immediate pain, and as a parent, you want to do something immediately. You want to help really quickly, immediate relief. But then you see another side to the story, and that's called continued care. Immediate relief is exactly what it sounds. You do something right then, right there. The Samaritan is most well known for his immediate relief. He felt compassion for him, going over to him. He soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. He took care of the bleeding right then and right there. Your kid falls off their bike. You go to them, you run, you wrap them up in your arms, you put a Band-Aid on it. Immediate relief. But notice that's not the end of the story. And I think you could have ended the parable of the Good Samaritan there. And it still is a great story, a great parable, a great teaching on compassion. When you see somebody in need, you do something. You don't just observe it, you act on it. We've said that over and over and over again. Compassion without action is just observation. So you have to move to do something. But something interesting happens because Jesus expands our view of compassion and what it means to be a neighbor. It's not just take care of the immediate relief and soothing his wounds. No, he put him on a donkey. He took him to an inn. He took care of him. And then he looked at the innkeeper and said, here, he's your problem now. I'll be back later. And it strikes me as strange that here we give so much credit and rightfully so to the good Samaritan. But he provided the immediate relief. And then he went to an inn, looked at the innkeeper and said, tag, you're it. I took care of his immediate needs. You're going to be with him until he gets better. (laughs) That feels like a lot longer. Now, we don't know that. We're making some assumptions here. We don't know if it's day or days, weeks or months. But we know what the Good Samaritan did in the moment. But now we see the innkeeper take on another side of compassion, of continued care. that most likely will go on for days. Whether it's easier or more difficult, you can decide on that one. I don't think that's the important part. The important part is recognizing there's two sides to it. So let me just give you some some ideas of what continued care can look like and what it costs. We said that last week, that there's a cost to our compassion. And oftentimes when we think continued care, we we have a very narrow focus. I want to broaden it as much as I can. Then we're going to dive in and actually see what it looks like. So here's just some ideas. This is not an exhaustive list whatsoever. Just some ideas to get you thinking in the same way as me right now. First idea of continued care has to do with time. Yes, it is most likely going to take a lot more time than immediate relief, isn't it? Both cost time, but continued care, just by the very nature and definition, is going to take a lot longer. So you think of the time given when you're continuing to care for somebody. Wealth, it's going to cost something, right? And here the Samaritan hands the innkeeper two silver coins. That'll probably last him a couple days but chances are good it's going to cost a lot more. And the Samaritan said, well, I'll pay you more. And I would imagine it's going to actually cost more than even what the Samaritan can pay back. And it's going to cost something there. Continued care. What about your influence, though? Thinking through your circle of influence, your connections, your networks, the people you know. When you're continually, continuing to care for somebody, you actually can tap into your influence. My kids are young right now, but I promise you, as they get a little bit older and we start talking more about like actual jobs, not like wash my car job, but like no go to work job. Guess who I'm going to start asking? Hey, anybody got a job opening? 
I'm going to start tapping into my, my influence, the people that I have influence with and my networks and my connections and who's hiring and who would hire one of my kids for this. We're tapping in because I want to care for them and teach them what it looks like to grow up and to be mature and to be responsible and respectful. So I'm going to tap into some of my circles of influence because I'm continuing to care for them. Thinking through your experience, how you can share your experience with somebody else. A lot of people use the, the word mentoring. Mentoring is a long-term thing. It's not, I'll mentor you one time. That's not a mentoring session. Mentoring says, no, I'm going I'm to pull you in. I'm going to take you under my wing, and I'm going to share my experiences with you. I'm going to share what I know in, in the church world or in the life of a Jesus follower. Do you know what word we use? Discipleship. Discipleship is when we say, let me show you who Jesus is. Let me walk you through my story and, and see your story and how Jesus moves in your life and moves in you and through you. Like that's discipleship. It's continued care. The energy that goes into care and continued care, the encouragements, the constant phone calls, the check-ins, it's going to take your energy, continued care. Your intellect, the things you know, you can share that again. Wisdom, different from intellect, that has to do with like living that out. There's a godly wisdom aspect, not just knowledge. So knowing what's right and also living that out. And it goes on and on and on. What it can look like to continually care for someone. Immediate relief. Providing some needs in the moment. Immediate. But Jesus shows us there's another side to compassion as well. Continued care. So here's the question I want us to ask ourselves. It, we got an idea of what it feels like to be the good Samaritan. To put, to put yourself in the good Samaritan shoes. But for today... What if you're the innkeeper? What if that's the role that God has called you to in this season right now? Does that mean you ignore all the immediate relief opportunities? Of course not. I want to balance it out, though, and I don't want you to forget the other side. What if you are the innkeeper? What if God has placed people in your life specifically to care for them for a long period of time? What if God intentionally moved people around you and moved them into your life so that you could care for them. Again, it's like the innkeeper. The innkeeper has this man show up and is now told to take care of him for as long as it takes. What if you and I in this season, what if we are the innkeeper? So if we are, if we want to entertain that idea for the rest of this morning, there's a couple things we need to point out about continued care, specifically with the innkeeper. Here's the first part. We don't get to choose who needs our compassion. You don't get to choose that. The innkeeper did not get to choose that. It's the Samaritan that chose to stop, right? He saw the man, felt compassion, went over. The Samaritan did what he did for immediate relief. Then he took him to the innkeeper, handed him two silver coins, said, take care of this man. I got to go. Not necessarily the innkeeper's choice. The innkeeper didn't choose to stop on the side of the road. But now he has this man literally at his doorstep. We don't get to choose who needs our compassion. We have a life that's full of people that we have chosen in our life. We also have a life full of people that we have not chosen, but are still in our life. Let me help you understand it a little bit differently. I'm going to use an example. Ryan, come on up. You're going to help me out here. Everybody give him a good what's up. Awesome. Real out to everybody your name. Ryan. There you go. So, no, stand right here. 
All right, there. You're going to get to be in the spotlight for all of like two seconds, and I'm going to steal it back. All right, yeah, there you go. Hula hoop. No, we were not. We we're not going to see you do the hula hoop. No, you're going to hold it. Stand right here. Right there. Look pretty. Smile through. Wave. Everybody online. That's great. All right. So. Ryan, I'm going to make some assumptions here, and so you tell me if I'm right. I'm assuming that you have people that you've chosen to be in your life, for example, married. Yes. Yeah, what'd she say when you asked her to get married? What'd she say? I do. I, good. I'm so glad. Like, did she say yes first? Was it a maybe? It was hey, we don't... <laughs> yes and yes. So you said, I want you to be in my life. I want to get married. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. So you invited her into your life. This hula hoop, we're going to say, symbolizes Ryan's life. Everything about his life, his circle of influence, the people in his life are all in here. So she was over here. You said, no, 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 I want you to be with me. So you brought her over, invited her into your life, right? Yes. All right. So you have kids? All right, how many kids? Four. Four kids. Man, all of them by choice? You don't have to answer that. <laughs> so, so those kids moved into your life. You invited them into your life. And I know you're thrilled to have them in your life. I know you're thrilled to yes, have them yes, in your life. Yes. Okay. Are they in here right now? Just, just one of them. <laughs> There's so much there I could say, but I won't. So you've invited at least one into your life. No, I'm just kidding. You move them into your life, and now they're part of your life, and you're excited to be part of your life. We have friends, right? Friends that move in. Give me like a, a name of a friend. Give me a friend. Aaron. Aaron. Man, you didn't even think twice on that. That's a good best friend. friend. Best friend. Aaron, hope you're watching. <laughs> so Aaron, over here, but you moved him into your life. You invited him in said, no, I want you to be in my circle. I want you to be part of my life. I'm choosing you. I want to share my life with you. So we could all do that, right? We all have our hula hoops. We all have our circles that we invite people into. But we also have a lot of people that are in our life that we did not choose, Right, so I, ha I would imagine that when you said uh, you invited your wife to be part of your life, you also got a group of people that just kind of came with her. So like, now not necessarily, you, I, okay, I need to clarify here. I don't know. Not necessarily in your situation, but in-laws, they come with your spouse, right? And whether you like it or not, they move on over here with you. And I have no doubt that you love her in-laws. They yeah. might be watching, so we're going to go ahead and say Yes. <laughs> Yes. I, I love them. Good answer. So proud of you. So they move in, and so now they're part of your life. You didn't really choose them to be part of your life, but they have moved from over here till now they have a part in your life. They not, might not be as close as other people, but they're part of your life. Right? You have a job, you work, and so you've got some coworkers that, whether they're good, not, whether they're friends or not, regardless, they have moved into your life. We don't always choose who we work with. There's people that move into our life, coworkers and even family and who, you, who lives next to you, your neighbors and kids. I mean, everything. All of a sudden, you start to fill up this circle of, how did you get in here? There's a lot of people. And that's what happened with the innkeeper, right? So now if we think of the innkeeper's circle, his life, his circle of influence, I have no doubt, just like Ryan, me, you, that there's a lot of people that he would have had invited into his life. But then here comes this Samaritan carrying a man that's beat up and throws him into the circle. It says, now he's part of your life as well. Hey, great job. Appreciate you, man. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Give him a big hand. He did awesome. I mean, he did do awesome. All he did was hold a hula hoop, but I mean, whatever. Anyway, I'm the one preaching still. Anyway. In that circle, there's so many people we invite in, but there's a lot of people, I would say even more, that show up. And you did not ask them to be in your life. You did not invite them into your life. Doesn't mean that they're a problem. Just means you weren't intentionally inviting them into your life, but they are in your life. We do not get to choose who needs our compassion. So let me ask this hopefully thought-provoking question. 
If you are an innkeeper, not just the Samaritan, but if you're this innkeeper, where God has put people in your life for you to continually care for. Because I would imagine if I'm the innkeeper, the first thing I'm thinking is, (laughs) I have plenty of problems of my own. Like, I don't even know this man. You want me to do what? You want me to take care of him for how long? That's not part of my job. I'd be thinking, this isn't in my job description. No, I'm an innkeeper. This is a hotel. It's not a hospital. I'm not a doctor. You want somebody to take care of him? Take him to a doctor. Take him to a hospital. I take care of beds. I clean rooms. I, I don't nurse people back to health. Who do you think I am? See, the innkeeper became more of a caretaker, didn't he? Take care of him for as long as it takes. And then the Samaritan leaves. James gives us more insight into what it looks like to care beyond just immediate relief. We're told this, John, or James, I'm sorry, James chapter one, verse 27. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for, look, orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Meaning you don't necessarily have to have a tight relationship to be able and willing to show compassion, even compassion that is extended. Romans chapter 12, verse 13, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Now that word hospitality to you and I probably means something a little bit different than what it literally means. We think hospitality, opening up your home, letting people stay with you. We think of the hospitality industry of hotels and motels and such, right? Literally hospitality, the word means loving strangers. Oh, I love that. Loving strangers. How do we show compassion to strangers? Strangers that are still in your circle. We have a lot of strangers that are in our lives. And maybe God put them there. Maybe God allowed them to walk into your life uninvited by you so that you could care for them, that you could choose compassion. Second part I would tell you, you don't get to choose who needs your compassion. But the second part, I would say you don't need to feel compassion to choose compassion. We said that earlier, that compassion is a choice. In fact, if you look at the story, out of everybody in the Good Samaritan story, the Samaritan's the only one that felt something, at least what we're told. The priest and the Levite, they see this man that's hurt and in need, but nowhere are we told how they feel. Did they feel compassion? Maybe, maybe not, we don't know. The innkeeper, nowhere in here does it say that he felt compassion and agreed to take care of this man. The Samaritan's the only one that felt it. The despised Samaritan came along when he saw the man. He felt compassion for him, then went over and took care of his immediate needs. But see, for the the innkeeper, whether he truly felt compassion or not, again, Jesus didn't feel like it was important to mention that like he did the Samaritan. I think it's because it was a choice. This innkeeper didn't see the man on the side of the road, didn't see what kind of shape he was in, but he had an opportunity literally at his doorstep. So the innkeeper had a choice that was separated from a feeling. Do I take this man in and help him or do I not? Choice. And oftentimes we tie our feelings with our choices. I have to feel it or else I'm not going to do it. I have to want to or else I'm not going to. Let me just help separate those a little bit because that's the difference between head and heart. Let's talk about that just for a second. The head says, I know what I should do. There's the ought to we saw earlier out of 1 John, right? I know what I ought to do. I know what's right. I know what the compassionate thing would be. I know what the loving thing would be. I know what it would look like to love my neighbor in this situation. We know those things. And quite honestly, I don't think we need to work on the knowing. 
I think most of us can know what's right and what it means to love somebody. But then what do we do when our heart is not there? Because oftentimes we know what we should do, but then our heart says, ah, it's a little messy right now. I'm a little busy right now. I don't really want to right now. It feels like it's going to cost a lot right now. So I know what I should do. Oh, but my heart is not there. When that happens, 99% of the time, you know what happens with us? We get stuck because our head wants to move forward. I know what I should do, but our heart holds us back. And so we're in this back and forth kind of stuck spot of, I want to help, but I don't want to right now, if I'm honest. And I know what I should do, but I said it before, I really don't want to. So you end up being stuck. I'm telling you, you cannot live a life of compassion if you are stuck. We said it all through this series. Compassion has action. There's movement. So if you're stuck and not moving, if you're caught between head and heart, you cannot act in compassion because you're not moving. So how do you overcome that? I think it's what the innkeeper did. I'm making some assumptions here. I get that. But we have no indication that he turned this man away. Regardless of what his heart said, I think it's a fair assumption that he said, I'll take him. So let me suggest that when your head says yes, your heart says no or not now or maybe later, can I encourage you to just move forward? Which means yes, you'll be acting in compassion even when you don't feel compassion. You'll be moving forward and living out love even when you don't feel very loving. And here's why I think we have permission to do that. Sometimes you just need your heart to catch up. Sometimes you just need your heart to catch up. If you sit around and say, well, I know what I should do, but my heart's not there. I'll wait for my heart to catch up before I do anything. You're going to be sitting for a while. When I'm sick, deathly sick, once or twice a year, I promise you my wife does not want to take care of me. No, she wants to go on a vacation and say, come back, I'll come back whenever you're feeling better. So she does something she knows she should do and ought to do, even though she truly doesn't want to. And I don't blame her. But we move forward anyway. We allow our heart to catch up. I think of our high school students yesterday, if you saw the picture earlier, when they were, at, when they were downtown Atlanta serving and helping. I would imagine, I don't know this, I am going to make some assumptions here. I'm going to imagine that there was a handful of high school students, maybe all of them, that as they were getting ready to show up early to church and all carpool downtown, I am positive, whether it was vocalized or not, there was the thought, do I really want to give up my Saturday doing this? Do I really want to do that? There's a lot of other things I could be doing. It sounded like a good idea. I don't know if I want to. Maybe my mom's even making me go. That had to have been in some hearts and minds. But this group of students pushed through and said, you know what, we're going to do it anyway. We signed up, let's go. And I bet if you talked with those students afterwards, you would hear something totally different. You won't believe what we got to do and we had this conversation with these people and we unloaded this huge bus or the food and we got to go door to door and hand it all out. You wouldn't imagine, you couldn't believe the smiles we saw and how excited people were. It was like we were just saving the day. We felt like superheroes, I couldn't believe it. Oh, they allowed their heart to catch up. And their heart did catch up, I promise. When we move in compassion, when our heart's not in it, I promise if you keep moving, your heart will eventually catch up. I promise. James chapter 4, verse 17. Remember, 
It is a sin to know what you, here's the phrase again, ought to do and then not do it. That's one of those where you just want to take a Sharpie and just like erase it out of scripture, isn't it? <laughs> Are you sure it says that? I don't remember reading that. You mean it, it's, it's in God's eyes, it's wrong if I know what I ought to do and then choose not to do it? Yes. Well, what if I don't feel like it? What if my heart's not in it? Isn't it like my heart? Doesn't God look at my heart? Yeah, but sometimes your heart has to catch up. We ought to give our lives up for one another. We ought to live a life of compassion. And yes, sometimes our heart has to catch up like the innkeeper. You have no idea what could be on the other side of your compassion, your choosing compassion, because we don't always get to choose who God puts in our life. And we don't always get to choose the needs that they need from us. We don't get to choose the people that walk in our lives. We don't get to choose the problems that they have. We don't get to choose the issues that they bring with them. We don't choose the baggage that they carry. We don't get to choose any of that. But we do get to choose how we treat them, how we love them, how we live compassionately, and how we choose compassion. And you have no idea what could be on the other side of you choosing compassion and allowing your heart to catch up. One of the things we've been doing each week is looking at the one another list that's in the New Testament. It's time and time again, well, here's how you love one another. Here's how you live that life. So let's put the one another's up so you can take a look at this. Here's the one another's. Thank you very much, Josh. Here's the one another's that we see, not all of them, but a good chunk of them in scripture. And we go through these and we've been practicing some of these, haven't we? We've been encouraging one another, serving one another, loving and helping one another. If you go to the next slide, now we're going to make it a lot more personal. We're going to say, now it's not just one another, it's Oh no, like I'm going to put some names in there. So who am I going to encourage? Who am I going to serve? Who am I going to forgive? Who am I going to offer hospitality to? Now I know that can be overwhelming. We've said that before. So what I've been doing the last several weeks through this series is picking one and saying, okay, church, here's the one that we are going to focus on right here and right now. So for this week, for the next seven days, we are going to focus on the pray for. And here's why. Because praying is an act of continued compassion. You pray for somebody, you pray over somebody, and oftentimes we want it to be the immediate relief, and it most certainly can be. But don't miss that we can pray for somebody, we can pray for generations, and allow God to work in a continued care way with our prayers. I mean, I pray for my kids continually, I pray for my wife continually, I pray for you continually. We can pray again and again and again, and it can be seen as an act of compassion, at least gets us practicing. Compassion. What if I don't feel like praying today? Oh, push through it and let your heart catch up. But you have no idea what could be on the other side of your prayerful compassion. So here's how these post-its come into play. I have, don't tell me if this is you, the secret is part of the fun. I'll be honest, I can't really read this. It's either going to be a V or an R. We're going to go with, let's go with V for now. We might change it. V-A-G or R-A-G. I have your post-it notes, and I don't know who you are, and I don't know your story. I don't know your difficulties, your struggles. I don't know what you need in life right now. I don't know the compassion that you need, but for the next seven days, your post-it is going to be in my car, and I'm going to be praying for you every single day for the next seven days. And who knows what God might do through those prayers over the next week. Each and every one of you did the same thing. You filled out a post-it, put your initials on it, so what I'm going to ask you to do as we leave today, as you go out those doors, look to your right, there's all these plexiglass 
um, panes that are against the wall, and all of your post-its are up on those plexiglass panes. Would you be willing to take one off? Don't do yours. It kind of defeats the whole purpose of what we're trying to do today. Take one of those off. You don't know who it is. You don't know what they need. You don't know anything. They're strangers. But what's hospitality? We are loving strangers, and we're not just doing immediate relief. It's not a one-time done prayer. No, we're going to pray for a whole week straight. Continued care, choosing compassion, even when you don't feel like it. So put it someplace that you'll see it every single day and commit to praying for this person, these initials, every day for the next seven days because you have no idea what your act of compassion could lead to. Don't miss why we do this. It's not for our name. It's not to be nicer people. It's because of what Jesus did. 1 John 4, 19. We love each other because he loved us first period. He went first. So even if our heart's not in it, we follow his example and we allow our heart to catch up. The love that he's given us, the compassion he's given us, the continued care he has for us, we give back to him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunities that we have to love like you have loved us. I pray that you would open our eyes to the opportunities for compassion, the immediate relief moments, but also the opportunities for continued care, to be like the innkeeper that became a caretaker, that said yes, maybe even if his heart wasn't in it, he said yes, to take care of somebody that might've taken days or weeks or months, that we would have the same eyes to see the people that need immediate relief, but also see the people that you have placed in our life that we could show compassion to day in and day out. Not because they deserve it, not because they have earned it, but because of the love you have shown us. Thank you for going first. Thank you for inviting us into your family. And may we live a life that follows you. In Jesus' name, amen.